You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Well, welcome, welcome to another episode of Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. I am your host, Dr. Jeff Werber. We'll be here for the next 30 minutes, hoping to hear from you. And we want you to uh, give us a call. And uh, it's good we have a, a caller in. And um, boy, it's been a heck of a week. And it's, for me, it's just uh, kind of starting. But uh, give us a call when you can, 877-385-8882. And i um, love to uh, answer your questions about your dogs, cats, you name it. If I don't have the answer at my fingertips, which um, is unusual for dog and cat, and it's uh, very possible with some of the other little creatures out there, I will get it for you like ASAP. I'm literally sitting here talking to you, just about to head to the airport in about an hour and a half. I'm going to the American Veterinary Medical Association conference to be held in Chicago, Illinois. And it's uh, one of two summer conferences about a month from now. I'm off to Kansas City for the Central Veterinary Conference. And boy, it's been a heck of a work week so far. Had two really, really tough cases yesterday. And, and you know, it's interesting the contrast of the, you know, the cases you can have of the same disease, the same condition, and yet the ramifications, the results could be so totally different. There is a common condition we see in dogs, and it is a splenic tumor. And you know, we, we see these animals, they come in, and they are often with a bloated belly, so you can kind of see something going on. A lot of times, if they're already bleeding, you might look at the gums and they're awfully pale. So, um, oh, is that caller there? Why don't we, yes. uh, we'll take the call here. Hi. Hi, can this you is hear Sarah. Me? Hi, yes, Sarah, how are me? you? I can hear I'm you good. just fine. Oh, good. I had a question. My dog has crystals in his urine, and so now he has to be on the special diet. Is he on SD and or CD or yes. urinary XO? you know which one he's on? Well, he was on SD, and then he was getting so so fat okay. <laughs> from it that I switched him to the dry food, which is the low. It's um, Royal Canine. Royal Canine is it urinary SO or which one? S- yeah, urinary SO, the low. The okay, low fat one. sure. Uh huh. And I and mixed we- in a little bit of the SD with perfect. This, so he has a little wet and a little dry. Perfect. But, and then he drinks distilled water and everything. But there's, it, I just wanted to know if there were, I mean, he used to eat so many vegetables and he loves, and I know I'm not allowed to give that to him. Is there any other treats or anything that I could give him that won't, you know, hurt his diet or this is it forever? Well, here's, here's the thing when it comes to urinary crystals in dogs. The most common crystal we see is called a triple phosphate crystal, which is ammonium, magnesium, phosphate. And the key to the formation of these crystals is the urinary pH. And most of the phosphate, the triple phosphate crystals, seem to thrive in a basic urine, which is a urine above the pH of, say, 7.5. So when these dogs come in with a urinary pH of 8.5 and crystals, you can assume that's what the problem is and the urine needs to be acidified. There are some other crystals, interestingly, the oxalates, that seem to do better in a, a basic pH. So you run the, the risk sometimes that if you bring that urine pH down too low, meaning too acidic, you might mm-hmm. take care of the phosphate crystals, but then you're going to have trouble with the, some of the oxalates or the urates. So mm-hmm. it's pretty confusing. So if you want to feed vegetables, that I would say that there are some urinary acidifiers that you can try. 
for example, okay. ammonium chloride, and even good old-fashioned vitamin C, ascorbic acid vitamin C. Don't get the fancy rose hips. You get the cheap uh -huh. stuff, ascorbic acid, uh -huh. and you could feed some ascorbic acid, add to the diet, and that might keep the urine acid enough that you can still feed in, mix in some you know, broccoli, cauliflower, whatever you were adding in. What kind of vegetables were you feeding? It was really broccoli, green beans. Okay. Right. And, you know, those, those should be okay. So what I would recommend is if there's any concern about having that urine pH sort of past that 7.5 mark uh, or mm -hmm. even 7, then try adding some ammonium chloride, it's called, or one of the uh, vitamin Cs, the inexpensive ascorbic acid vitamin C, and have the urine just checked to make sure that the urine is staying on the acidic side. One note, however, it's important mm -hmm. to know that it is recommended to look at the urine soon after it's collected. If urine sits, even in the fridge, for a long period of time, all right, it can mm -hmm. develop crystals. So we, we often get a false positive crystal read if the urine is brought in or drawn by the veterinarian in the morning and the, the lab pickup isn't until the afternoon, it's sitting out or sitting in the fridge and the lab drives it to the laboratory, you know, the driver takes it to the lab and by the time the pathologist gets it, it's formed crystals, which is normal. Yeah. You get yeah. this residue. So just mm -hmm. you have to sort of take it, pardon the pun, with a grain of salt. I mean, you have to know that, that the best way to evaluate crystals is on a very, very recent catch or a recent collection. Then you can have the veterinarian can have one of his technicians put a drop or a couple of drops on the slide and look right away and truly see are their crystals already formed. And if the urine is fairly fresh and there are no crystals, that's the important read, not the one that the clinical pathologist at the lab is going to take, you know, five, six hours later. Mm -hmm. All right? So you can ask yeah. the vet. Ask the vet, say, can you do me a favor? Have one of your, your lab techs take a quick look at the urine right away as soon as we catch it. Right. All right? And they can also do a yeah. quick little urine dipstick and just see, make sure the pH is a good pH as well. Okay. All right? So try those yeah. things, and that way you can cheat a little bit and not feel guilty and feed those vegetables. The vegetables are good for them. Right, and have maybe a little less food so he can lose some weight. Yes, stay, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. All right? Okay. All right, Sarah, All right, thanks, thanks for the so call. Much. You're okay, welcome. Bye -bye. See, everybody, how painless was that? Very easy. 877-385-8882. You can also kind of uh, send us a little um, note here right online when we're live at uh, drjeff at petliferadio.com. I would say, well, here in the chat room we have uh, – Looks like something may be coming in. So we were talking about how things like spleens can make a big difference. And um, we had a dog in yesterday, an older dog. It was actually a pharaoh hound. Love to know if anybody knows what a pharaoh hound is. And um, so we had this dog coming in, and it had the classic huge belly. It just looked like the, uh, the typical splenic tumor, maybe a, a, a liver problem. The belly was full. It was tight to the touch. It seemed like there was some fluid in there. And um, we talked to the owner about all the good, the bad. The dog was a little on the older side. But I said to him, look, if we do nothing, we're going to end up with a dead dog. The dog is going to bleed out. At the very least, we got to go in. And of the tumor possibilities, there's actually one that's a benign tumor. We call that a splenic hemangioma. There's one that's a malignant tumor called hemangiosarcoma. Then we also often will see a hematoma, which is just like a, a blood blister within the spleen. The hematoma and the mangioma are totally benign. If you get that spleen out in time, it's 100% curative. So we talked about the pros and cons, what we need to do. So we went into this dog's belly and this spleen, the tumor was huge. It had attached itself to the stomach, to the kidney, 
and to the um, body wall, meaning there was no way that this tumor could be resected. And it was bleeding all over. It was just such a shame. And, you know, it's one of those things where, you, you know, it's the toughest phone call to make when you're calling an owner to let them know that there's no way to help your, this pet and they really should come in and say goodbye. And they did. And, you know, it's always a sad scene whenever that happens. And everyone around, all my employees, my technicians, everyone is so sad because it was such a great dog. And in contrast to that, we had a little dog come in today, about a seven-year-old little Shih Tzu that, again, presented. The owner noticed a kind of a firm swelling when she would pet the dog. And, and, and I mean, for this neutered male dog, looked like actually he was pregnant. I mean, that's how big his belly was. So going through the same thing, talked about all the possibilities. And... Interestingly, I uh, went in this morning. In fact, that's where I was just before coming up here to join all of my listeners. And uh, this was the classic splenic tumor. It was confined to the spleen. It was pretty ugly. It's, it wouldn't surprise me if it comes back as a mangiosarcoma, but it could come back a mangioma. And uh, the liver was perfect and the stomach was perfect and the kidneys were perfect. The intestines, everything else looked great. We removed it. This dog was already up from anesthesia. And um, we're just hoping that this will come back, maybe hemangioma or a hemangio, uh, excuse me, a hematoma and not the ugly hemangiosarcoma. So that'd be great. So it just goes to, uh, it shows you that uh, you never know. And that's why every case is an individual case. And one thing I learned, and I've learned it from cases like yesterday's, the Pharaoh Hound, and one that happened to me years ago. Uh, I remember the dog was named Leo, and I thought for sure, for sure, this was going to be one of these resectable tumors. Told the owner, you know, the chest is clear, everything looks good. It's on the ultrasound, it looked pretty confined. Not to worry, not to worry. Opened that dog up, and there were mets, metastases all over the liver that were bleeding. So I had to call the owner, and he and I both had no idea at the time that this would be the outcome. So what I do now is uh, we'll always go ahead and let the owner know and try to have the owner spend a little time with the uh, pet before the surgery because you never know what's going to happen. So anyway, we're going to come right back. It's time for a little break. I want to thank our sponsors, ProSense Pet Products, and anyone in the Chicago area. Tomorrow morning, Friday morning, you can catch me live at Good Day Chicago. That's the Fox affiliate in Chicago. And we're going to be, of course, talking pets. We'll be back in just a minute. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Your dog digs a hole under your fence. And the next thing you know... Protect your pets with Dig Defense, the amazing new product that keeps your pets in the yard. Dig Defense is safe, fast, and easy. Each unit is made from 4-gauge galvanized American steel and can be used for repairing digouts, filling gaps, or to hold fences down so pets can't get under them. Dig Defense provides peace of mind that your pets are contained humanely and safely. Visit digdefense.com today. D-I-G-D-E-F-E-N-C-E.com. Are you crazy about cats? If so, check out The World is Your Litter Box, Deluxe Edition. This clever how-to manual for cats, written by a cat named Quasi, contains more laughs than should be allowable in one book, and is poignantly underscored by the combative yet loving relationship between Quasi and his human. The World is Your Litter Box, Deluxe Edition, is guaranteed to have you laughing your tail off. So, treat yourself to a copy today. Available from Amazon.
Love My Pets, the new single by Mark Winter. Available on iTunes. Dog Shelter Blues, the new novel by Mark Conkling. This hard-hitting story lights up the world of animal rescue with engaging characters and their pets. Struggling with their own internal demons as they attempt to rescue innocent creatures that sometimes bring a mysterious transforming power to broken lives. Read the first chapter of Dog Shelter Blues free at dogshelterblues.com and come along a breathtaking journey that ends with an astonishing triumph of good over evil. Order your copy of Dog Shelter Blues today. Available at amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. This year, Americans are expected to spend a jaw-dropping $36 billion on their pets. From lighted leashes to high-end spa products, the discriminating pet owner can find just about anything to pamper his or her pet. Hi, this is Michelle Fern. Join me every week for Best Bets for Pets, where we'll talk about the latest pet products and talk to the companies that make them. Best Bets for Pets, every week, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Hey there. Welcome back to Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff here on PetLifeRadio.com. Um, and hope you're uh, not shy. Give us a call at 877-385-8882. Join us on Pet Life Radio. You can ask me live or you can also uh, send me an email to drjeff at petliferadio.com. As a matter of fact, we have Mick who is listening. And um, Mick is having a problem with his flea and tick medication. And um, the problem is, he says, I noticed that when I put the flea and tick medication. My dog seemed to not feel good for the next 12 to 24 hours. Is that normal or should I try using a different brand? And uh, it's a great question. And the answer is we don't know necessarily how much of that sensitivity is going to be general across the board or is it something that is that particular product. So if this is a new product, a product you've never used before, and you've never had this particular problem before on using something else, then I would say it's, it's got to be this particular brand, and I would switch. If it only lasts for 12 to 20, what I would also recommend doing is a lot of times the instructions say, put it on one spot along the, you know, the back of the neck, the shoulder blades, whatever. I find that, especially with certain dogs, it's okay to sort of spread it down the back. Don't let too much of it sit in any one spot. And another suggestion, a lot of pet parents make the mistake of putting on the flea and tick medications. The, and of course, we're talking about the spot-on types. They put it on, on a perfectly clean dog right after a bath. And I don't recommend doing that. I recommend waiting about two days, at least a day and a half. And here's why. These medications, these products are all what we call lipophilic. They like fat and they need fat in order to sort of spread themselves through the body. If you have a dog who has such clean skin that there's no place for, there's no way that this stuff can spread out fast because the fat's not there, it takes about a day to a day and a half for the oil cells in the body to replenish the dry dog, to replenish the oil that was washed away from the bath and therefore that spot on just sits in that one spot or wherever it is you put it. But if you wait about a day or two, day and a half, two days, then as soon as you put it on, the body is going to start doing what it does best, 
and it's going to spread that medication over the body as it should. So I would try a number of suggestions. Number one, make sure the dog isn't squeaky clean when you put it on. Wait about a day or a day and a half, a day and a half to two days after the bath. Two, if this is the first time you've ever had this product and you've never used, you've never had this problem with other products before, then I would say change products. Go back to what you were using. If you have this problem, regardless of the product you use, then it's just your dog and put up for it for you know, 12 to 24 hours. But a suggestion would be spread it out over the body. Put it in a bunch of different spots instead of just two or three. Put it in like six or seven different spots along the back. And um, that might mitigate some of the signs that you are noticing. So um, anyway, I hope that helps. If you need anything answered, if you have more questions or problems, go ahead and text me back, write me back here at PetLifeRadio.com. I can see the questions coming in online as you type them. So uh, it makes it really, really easy. So let's see what else. Oh, these conferences, um, as I said, I'm off to uh, Chicago. I hear it's hot and muggy. I'm hoping to maybe I can even catch a, uh, a Cubbies or a White Sox game. In fact, interesting, uh, I was in Chicago a couple of summers ago. And by the way, Chicago during the summer is a really a great town. I like it anyway. You know, great food, a lot of places to go. But but the weather is, it doesn't bother me, the, the muggy weather. And it's just, you know, it's, it's still 80 degrees at night, which is great. But I went to, it just happened to be the weekend of the game between the White Sox and the Cubs. It was the interdivisional games that they often have, and uh, it was at Wrigley Field, and you know, a very historical place to go to Wrigley Field. And uh, anyway, it was just a lot of fun. So I'm uh, looking forward, and then I get to um, head off to Kansas City for the Central Veterinary Conference, and I sit there. Um, it's, a, it's a great conference. It's a growing conference, and really it does. It gives us such a great opportunity to find out what's new. There's so many great products out there. There's so many great devices out there. When I think back, and I remember that we were warned back in veterinary school that every five years, half of what was known as gospel is now obsolete. And that's huge. So all of a sudden, you're, you know, I'm practicing now for well, a long time. I'm in my 30th year. And when I look back, I'm a, I'm a pack rat. So I still have a lot of my old notes from that school and my old textbooks. I figured maybe someday they might be worth a penny. And um, I look at what we used to teach. And, you know, a great question that was brought on by Mick and the Flea Products is let's talk fleas for a second and how things have changed dramatically over the years. Back in the day, and I hate to sound like an old guy, but back in the day, we used to say for every one flea you found on your dog, there were 25 to 30 in the environment. All right? Which means if you had three or four fleas, all right, you had close to 100 fleas in the environment and spent so much time on treating the environment. We had foggers. We had the bombs. We had the premise sprays, right? And now, as we've learned more about flea behavior, thanks to some of the experts out there, like my friend Mike Dryden at uh, Kansas State University, we learn that fleas are actually obligate parasites. Fleas need that blood meal. And if they don't have it, they're going to die within hours, uh, sometimes as long as 10, maybe as short as five hours. When we have fleas in the environment, these are fleas that are either recently hatched, they're recently developed fleas, and we know it goes from the flea egg to the larva to the young adult to the adult, all right? Or they're adult fleas that have not yet had that blood meal, or they're adult fleas that have had their first blood meal, but it's even that within that five to 10 hour period, they're still around. They're not interested in you. They want that dog. If they can't find the dog, they may go after you. So now, understanding the mechanics, the life cycle, is that adult fleas 
that have been primed, meaning they had their first blood meal, are now obligate parasites. They need to live on that host, which is the dog or the cat. Now, we don't spend as much time in the environment because we know that any time that larva becomes an adult and that adult flea jumps on that dog for the first time and takes that first blood meal, it's going to now need that blood. And if it doesn't get it, it's dead anyway. So let's not worry about it. So any of the fleas in the environment are going to be young, you know, young adult or, or still you know, recently hatched baby fleas which is why typically when you do see fleas in the environment, you're going to see them and if they're jumping on you, they're really little teeny, they're hard to find, they're hopping like crazy. I know they're amazing. I mean, some other facts about fleas, a flea can hop something like over a hundred times its size. A female flea in peak season under the right conditions, which is a humidity of at least 75% and temperature or whatever, they can lay up to 40 to 50 eggs a day. So when you have that one flat, plump, fat, plump female on a dog, she is potentially dropping into your environment 25 to 40 to even up to 50 eggs a day, which explains why they can be such a nuisance if uh, you don't take care of the problem. So what I recommend is taking care of the fleas on your pet, on the dog or the cat, because they're obligate parasites. And I recommend speaking to your veterinarian. There are too many things out there that are unsafe, especially when it comes to cats, ineffective because of some political issues out there with some of the flea products. Check with your veterinarian to get the, the, the real uh, skinny on what you should be using as far as flea control. In the environment, if you really have a major environmental problem, you want to do something as well. You want to find and make sure that what you use, because as we just learned, that most of that which is in the environment, flea-wise, are going to be eggs, larvae, and babies. You want to look for a product that has an IGR. IGR stands for Insect Growth Regulator. So it's more important actually for environmental control to use that which is going to inhibit the development of the larval stage into the young adult stage, eggs to larva to the young adult. So those are called IGRs. And I think it's best to get them in a form that is easily applicable. It's not really that smart to get foggers anymore because why? We've also learned that larvae are photosensitive. They're photophobic. They don't like light and they're very sensitive to light. So what do they do? They will crawl and they make their way to an area that doesn't have direct sunlight. That might be under a coffee table. That might be under a couch or a lounge chair. That might be under your bed. When you set a fogger, however, and you, you know, lay them down, you set them down on the floor, on the coffee table, or, you know, on top of a piece of newspaper, and you set them and you beeline out of your house, that mist is shooting up in the air, but it's settling on top of all those pieces of furniture where the larvae are hiding below. So the very same furniture that you set the machine on is protecting that larvae, and it's just not getting it. So you want to use a premise spray where you can direct the spray. You don't have to spray very heavily where there's in the middle of the living room floor if there's a you know big bay window and you're getting sunlight all day. Uh, you do want to spray, however, under the furniture. And it's only about four to six inches underneath. You don't have to go like an, under the middle of a king-size bed, just sort of around the perimeter, and, um, and that would help. So um, anyway, that uh, hopefully will clear up some of the issues that we have for fleas. And also know that this time of year, most parts of the country, is mosquito season. And along with mosquito season comes heartworm. So make sure you protect your dogs and even or especially, I should say, your outdoor cats. Because cats are also susceptible to heartworm disease. And sadly, we don't have a treatment for cats. We can treat dogs but we can't treat the cats. So the best way to treat 
and I use that term loosely, a cat for heartworm disease is to prevent it. So if you have a cat that is an outdoor cat and you live in a mosquito endemic area, please, please, please see your veterinarian and make sure your cat is on heartworm prevention as well as your dogs. Here in California, Southern California, we're not hit that hard. But I, interestingly, I do see some mosquitoes around my my home and therefore I do use heartworm prevention on my dogs as well. But something you should speak to your veterinarian. You know, much like vaccines, it's all about what we call the core, the inherent diseases in your area that you need to protect your pets against. And so when it comes to certain vaccines, it could be you know many, many different uh, vaccines that we use. Likewise, when we are protecting our pets against fleas or heartworm disease, any of those weird diseases that we don't see everywhere, some of the tick-borne problems, if your dog is not ever going to get ticks, you don't have to worry about it. Uh, you don't need the, the Lyme disease vaccine if you're living in an area that Lyme disease is an endemic and your dog really doesn't get any ticks. So check with your veterinarian. I don't like you when you go to the store and you start buying things because most of the things that you buy may not be uh, necessary for your pet. And let's face it, we, in my opinion, sometimes less is more and we don't want to overload your pet with a bunch of chemicals, a bunch of vaccines, things like that. So I want to thank our callers and I want to thank, uh, well, Mick for uh, typing in a, a question. I want to thank Sarah for calling in. I want to thank our sponsors, uh, ProSense Pet Products. You can go online to ProSensePet.com to see what the line has to offer. Uh, the full line is available at, at uh, Walmart, at your local Walgreens. You can find things at Target, etc. And we will see you back next week here at Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff on PetLifeRadio.com. Thanks for joining me. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.